life was like a box of chocolates. There is no place like... You talking to me? All right, Mr. DeMille, I'm ready for my close-up. Nobody puts baby in a I could have been a contender. He's looking at you, kid. Here's Johnny. A very particular set of skills. Your milkshake. Go ahead. Make my day. I'll be back. I am the father. I'm Spartacus. Shell off to my little friend. Why so serious? You shall not Welcome to the Real Features Podcast. As part of our coverage of this year's Melbourne Documentary Film Festival, we are pleased to get a chance to speak to another very talented Australian filmmaker. He's a director, producer, cinematographer, and has proven himself as an extremely talented documentarian off the back of his award-winning film, The Road to Patagonia. Please welcome Maddie Hannon. How are you going, mate? Thanks, Paul. Yeah, very gracious introduction. <laughs> <laughs> No, and congratulations on the film. I've uh, I absolutely loved it. Um, you know, watched it watched it recently. I was lucky enough to get an early screener of it, and you have to be happy with um, you know, the final final product of it. And obviously, the you know, in fact, you're already winning awards off the back of it as well. You got to be happy with the success so far. So, yeah, thanks, mate. Yeah, definitely. I mean, for a, a low budget independent film like this and you know as you're aware very often these kinds of films are multi-year roller coasters of energy and funding and struggles and highs and lows and all the rest of it so to to get to this point and um see that people are enjoying it and it's sparking some interesting conversations is a yeah it's a huge win for us so yeah Absolutely. very happy that's actually a good point. Did it, how many years did it take? I mean, obviously, you know, that big trip, you know, obviously would have been the planning and and then, you know, you've obviously got the idea to to record it and, you know, turn it into, I guess it kind of evolved though as well while you're doing the trip. But uh, yeah, how long did it sort of take with the whole planning and then filming process? Yeah, yeah. So I guess it's a bit uh, disjointed in a way because um, the first part of the film was shot about 16 years ago but without the intent of becoming a feature film it was um i was uh, living in remote sumatra and i shot a bank of footage over there um in a really picturesque biologically diverse culturally uh rich region of the world and um i'd been living over there for five years and um, it was just a way for me to be able to record and share with my friends and family back at home why I'd disappeared off the face of Australia. <laughs> and um, and so, yeah, that that uh, section of the film is from a very long time ago, 16 years ago. Um, but, yeah, the actual uh, adventure love story aspect of it, I suppose, yeah. that started in 2014 um, when I... I uh, was living in Melbourne and I wasn't in the best place uh, in a kind of uh, mental disposition, I suppose. Yeah. I'd been diagnosed with uh, depression and anxiety and I was trying to figure out ways for me to to deal with that. And <clears throat> I felt that one of the best ways to do that was to break out of uh, the current situation and and get back to that freedom that I'd found over in Sumatra. And so I bought a one-way ticket to Alaska and wow. went on a two and a half journey from yeah. there. Uh, and yeah, so that was pretty wild. And then obviously the editing phase 
Gee, I don't know. I think, you know, the film was finished in late 2022. So, yeah, yeah it was um, eight years to make the film, basically. Fantastic. <laughs> Long process. But, yeah, that's that's a really interesting, uh, you know, that, yeah, as you said, you obviously you had your um, mental struggles and to be able to go away, I mean, what a therapeutic way to, you know, kind of get away. And, yeah, I can imagine that that would have been, you know, therapy in itself like in, in many ways just getting away from a lot of people or like your comfort zone i guess and and you know yeah challenging yourself that way it's um yeah amazing yeah, yeah i think it was yeah it was interesting i mean it, it was a rude shock i mean not that you know i love melbourne i'll always have a soft spot for melbourne it's you know what an amazing city if you're going to live in a city it's you know melbourne's the spot but um yeah where I was kind of hoping that by buying this one-way ticket to Alaska that I'd step off the plane and all my troubles would be fixed. <laughs> it's definitely not as simple as that. You know, I spent the first couple of months, maybe three months, um, you know, I, I thought I'd made a terrible decision. I was like, oh, my God, I'm terrified every night in my tent. There's brown bears everywhere. There's wolves. I'm alone. I'm going to spend all this money. I had a little mini house deposit, maybe not quite, but almost and now I'm going to spend it on this crazy adventure. What am I doing? I'm so, you know, all these doubts that come into your head when you're on these kind of, um, yeah, trajectories. And uh, it took a while to sink in to a dif different rhythm of life. The, yeah. And yeah. and I think that's the, the beauty of going on those uh, long-term adventures is they are inherently life-changing, you know? So, yeah. Yeah. Jeez, it almost sounds like an episode of the series alone. I don't know if you've seen that one, but it's almost like uh, I've heard a lot about those. Yeah, yeah. I, yeah, I haven't actually seen them. I'm one of those strange filmmakers that doesn't have a television, and um, wow. I've got a one and a half year year old kid who, um, yes. yeah, <laughs> <he's my laughs> that's your subscription. Yeah. At the moment, you know, I don't have much time for watching movies at the moment, but yeah. Absolutely. I've got a one and a half year old, so I know, know that feeling very well. So you do. Yeah. No. <laughs> I should mention as well. So the plot, I mean, we've kind of covered it, but uh, you know, it starts off obviously, you know, your trip to to um Alaska. Um, so you're I've taken your tagline off your website as well. Obviously, loved the film and, and seen it, but um uh, the lives of two strangers are changed forever when they cross paths on the surfing adventure of a lifetime, discovering love and downshifting and uh for Chilean horses um and you know that you know that love story takes such a big obviously you obviously you did that trip and that was not the intention but early in the piece you know you met Heather and and it's amazing how much you know just even seeing from the film how well you both were connected um and then the, th the part that amazed me as well is that she dropped essentially everything and followed you on this this trip, um, which is pretty amazing as well. Mm. I don't know. We were, um, obviously, you had a great connection or maybe there's some black arts, uh, black <laughs> magic that you cast on her or some sort of spell. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But, um, you know, what an yeah. amazing... And, and obviously, you're both going strong and, and uh, um, still together and got... got um, so one one kid, is that right? Or... Yeah, that's right. We have we have a kid together. Yeah, so again, that sort of gets back to that. Um, yeah, those long term sort of adventures, uh, how they can change your life. And luckily, yeah. it did change my life for the better. And um, yeah, and I think you know, in reality, 
we sort of sell the film a little bit as this sort of surfing adventure film, which it is. It definitely is yeah. that as well. But at the end of the day, I think it it kind of is just a love story, you know, and um, maybe a little love story between two people. But I hope that it's also a love story to the world that um, can sort of facilitate bigger conversations than you know just two people on the screen you know like hopefully and i think it is already in the conversations that we've had with people the the film yeah it does sort of spark a little bit of uh questioning and inspiration sometimes with people that have seen it as to you know the to just to look at the world a little differently than yeah. how we might in our everyday lives and yeah that's kind of that was that was probably what gave us the impetus to actually finish the thing. You know, I'm sure you mm. interviewed so many um, filmmakers who have been in similar positions where it's, it's just so damn hard, you know, documentary filmmaking, yeah. especially if you haven't um, been lucky enough to get funding from the beginning, from one of the state bodies or um, distributors or whatever it might be. If, if you have gone that full independent route, the odds are just stacked against you and it's um, finding the stamina to, actually keep going like you have to believe in the project and i think yeah that's the reason why we managed to finish it was being hoping to be able to share that wider bigger conversation of um yeah the love in the world i suppose not just between two people Absolutely. And I guess, you know, you, you prove that, that, you know, that it works. A lot of people are, you know, trying to find love. They they use the apps and stuff, but you've just traveled to a completely different, you know, country and, and there you go. You found your soulmate from, so, you know, kind of, yeah, there's there's definitely something in there about, you know, exploring the rest of the world. And and I guess as part of, like you said, you know, it's, it's, it's part love story, but also, you know, you vi visited some amazing villages and met some amazing people during the journey as well on your, on your travels. But, um, you know, you talk about in the film, but upon reflection, are there, are there any, I guess, first off, was there anything that particularly any village or any, you know, person in particular that really stood out to you? as kind of, you know, the absolute highlight outside of obviously Heather, um, you know, is there anything uh, yeah. uh, <laughs> that really stood out? And, and then secondly, you know, are there any other, you know, messages that, you know, once, I mean, you know, from, from the film that you kind of think are worth sharing that you kind of learned and yeah. picked up? Yeah. 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 They're two really good questions. Um, I, I think, yeah, without uh, second guessing really the um, I'm, I'm very well connected with, uh, some of the people over in West Sumatra in the Mentawai Islands. And to this day, I stay in um, regular contact with them and um, trying to help uh, those guys in in little ways that I can. And um, so, yeah, Aman Lepon is a good friend of mine, a shaman that lives over in Mentawai oh. and lives a very different lifestyle than what I do. He's a hunter-gatherer. Um, traditional Mentawe person who for the most part exists outside of a monetary economy and um, you know is based around subsistence farming but on this kind of permacultural agroforestry sort of style of uh, farming where basically the jungle around him is his garden the jackfruit trees that the monkeys eat of eat out of are the same ones that he harvests and you know, everything is in this uh, fine balance of ecology. 
and I take huge inspiration from um yeah the time that I spent with those guys and I'm definitely in awe of uh not just their culture but also you know to me to me it's um you know it's a really tricky space to to talk in as a white man who's um you know in that inherently comes with a lot of privileges and then I'm also very cautious about trying to speak for anyone you know especially minorities sure. but um it's also a very privileged position to have um been able to travel around the world and see a lot of um change a lot of interesting situations and so yeah I feel like we have we we have a lens to share with the world and and the the thing that really stood out to me was realizing that Aman Lepon in Sumatra was saying the same thing in his in interviews that I did with him he was saying the same thing as Rob Beatty over in Alaska, who's a, a clinket man over in Alaska. So very, on the other side of the world in a different hemisphere and totally different continent. And then if we go down to the very bottom of South America, the Mapuche people down there are also saying the, you know, almost the exact same thing. And then you delve into um, some of the written history around European history and um, it doesn't really matter where you go in the world. And obviously I'm generalizing massively here. Yeah. I'm not trying to speak for no. everyone. Yeah, yeah. Or, um, but we've come from a place, we've come from a history, you know, for 99% of humanity, we've come from that same existential connection to nature that I was describing earlier, where your garden was the forest around you where we were hunter-gatherer people that were deeply reliant on the land and mm. not only reliant in a um you know food and accommodation and um just resource uh style of reliance but also uh it's tricky to say spiritual because that comes with a lot of connotations as well but you know our story as humans was deeply connected to nature mm. whereas mm. you know in in the last sort of 10,000 years since the agricultural revolution and you know whatever industrial there's there's been so much change and so much globalization you know we're, we're all aware of it but I, I think what we're trying to share with the film coming back to your question is that you know these these messages that we often sort of label as like quaint archaic messages of you know remote peoples being connected to country or connected to land are actually inherent to all of our history no matter where you come from in the world and that's you know what we're trying to explore we're not trying to take people's messages from different parts of the world we're trying to like it's basically trying to hold up mm. a mirror ourselves and analyzing where we've come from and also realizing that there's a lot of beauty in that so yeah really well said and and i i get the feeling have you taken obviously some of that that you've learned from those experiences i mean you talked about before how you don't have a tv in your house you know is that sort of how you kind of you've taken a little bit from that where you're sort of just i guess appreciating you know 
you know, the land and, and, you know, the surroundings as opposed to, you know, it's so easy to get caught up on, on your, you know, looking at your phone or, or watching TV constantly yeah. or doing things like that. You know, is that something that, you know, in your day-to-day that you kind of try and do as well? Definitely. Yeah. Yeah. And Heather as well. And I mean, not trying to suggest that we're these amazing altruistic people that have managed to escape all the vices of globalization. <laughs> you know, we're very much participating in it. And um, I, through nature of my work, I'm a, a documentarian uh, for work. That's what I do. Um, and so, you know, I look at screens a lot. I think about, um, stories that go on screens and, um, you know, social media is a part of that as well. And so, um, so yeah, there's, there's a big conflict there and that sometimes it's a bit of an existential conflict for me. Sometimes I pull myself up and say, wow, is this really what I want to be doing? Because hmm. I do feel like I'm feeding the machine sometimes <laughs> and, um, I mean, yeah, it, it's, it, it's hard, but yeah, it's, it's definitely true. Like it's changed my life. I've, um, ended up living on land, uh, in a community in a, in a sense with my brother right. and my sister. Um, we decided to take our savings, um, and my brother and my sister and bought some land in, you know, not only because it's, um, I guess more affordable, like that's that's an obvious benefit, but also with the the intent of yeah, intentional community of like my son growing up with his auntie and his uncle either side of him, and hopefully down the line there'll be cousins running around and yeah, you know, it, fantastic. It's that same idea of it taking a a village to raise a child and yeah, um, yeah, yeah, we're very much aiming to get to that yeah that's great that's really cool um i also gonna ask as well when you were talking about you know how you stayed in touch with some of the people like the shamans and things like that um you know how do you how do you do that keep in contact i mean is it the old you know sending a letter or or you know how you know i don't don't suppose they've um you know they're whipping out their iphone and uh you know messaging it back sort of thing or or are they i don't know yeah how's yeah. Yeah, and this is where the this is where the layers of complexity just really it's such a nuanced issue. Um it used to be letters. Yeah, we we used to communicate by letters. Um and then there was a regular telephone, but when he would make it down, so Amon Lepon himself, he's unable to uh read and write. He's like yep. he's got an incredible encyclopedic knowledge of the jungle medicinal plants and you know not of the psychotropic variety they don't mm. um, participate in that kind of stuff it's like medicine for the sake of health um and um yeah he he doesn't really know how to use a telephone so much but his son um who he's gone to school and because he's gone to school he's obviously been educated in uh, the national curriculum as opposed to being educated as a shaman um and so he's got instagram he's got <laughs> facebook and it's um yeah awesome. that's that's where it becomes very interesting the you, you see this homogenization and gentrification of cultures and the world in general, it's it's so appealing and 
easy to use and and beneficial in times you know like the ability to be able to go and quickly send a message to somebody uh in really remote sumatran jungle is incredible but at the same time it's insidious in its opera like the way that it homogenizes and gentrifies the world so yeah yeah great okay um uh, i have to say as well i one thing that that really got me about this film is just how i mean your camera work was very impressive the, the countryside the landscapes the way you were able to capture that i mean do, you know um as you said you're obviously a, a documentarian so you've had a bit of experience obviously with with uh with that side of things but you know how hard were some of those shots like you know i mean obviously um you know you're, you're going around on motorbikes you're riding around on horses and things like that but uh you know it was, it was pretty you know really impressive with how you shot this film as well so how was that challenge or was it pretty pretty easy and pretty natural to yeah thanks Paul. yeah <laughs> yeah no I, yeah i really appreciate that it, it was um no it was a lot of work yeah it was um everything had to fit into motorcycle panniers so um we had to really strip back any kind of production equipment to the core essentials um and then you know in the second half of the film everything's shot off the back of a horse and so, yeah, it was um, just the logistics of trying to be mobile with enough equipment to be shooting a film um, either on a horse or a motorbike was, yeah, that was an adventure in itself. And, um, yeah. yeah, I mean, uh, it was also super interesting that Heather had never shot a film before. Oh, sorry, she'd never really even taken photos much before, you know, this wow. is... I met her in 2014. I think Instagram was just sort of starting from what I could tell. So people, mm. you know, weren't as photographically minded as what they are now, where everybody is sort of generally fluent in um, photography to a degree. And um, so, yeah, she picked up the ball really quickly and ended up pulling some of the uh, prettiest shots in the film, I, I'd say. And, wow. Um, and then obviously when you go to spectacular locations, it becomes easier to pull a spectacular shot. But there's there's a few in there that I'm I'm proud of for sure. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Very impressive. Um, the other thing as well that I, I had to laugh at it, it was um obviously, I mean, probably at the time would have been a little bit challenging, but you, you talk about how, you know, you're you're riding in these remote places or or traveling in these remote places and then you know, you see a lake and you have a bath and you're like, I haven't bathed for seven days. This is amazing. And, you, and you're sort of like <laughs> in the water. Um, but I can imagine, you know, even even the challenges like finding food and stuff like that. Um, how was that? And um, how bad was the smell? <laughs> Both of you as well, if you hadn't <laughs> going around, especially early stages, you know, with a with a partner as well. I can imagine that would have been uh, funny as well. But yeah. Very was... eye opening. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I mean the horses masked the smell a bit, so that was handy. Yep. Um, but yeah, we we definitely had an earthy um <laughs> an earthy smell to us. Um yeah. Finding finding yeah. food and stuff. Yeah, how'd how that go as well? You know, finding food in those remote areas yeah. as well. Well, I think surprise like when we were on the motorbikes everything was very much about moving from a to b you know sure. everything, it was like okay you could set you know you can do 500 miles in a day if you want on a motorbike and so you could mm. there was never really any point where you were 
sort of wow. stuck without food um, unless okay. you made a mistake. Um, yeah. I mean, in Alaska, I was um, really trying to save budget and um, fresh produce and things like that I were kind of out of my, like even apples were like $5 and I was like, oh, that's too expensive for me to be able to make it to the end of South America. So wow. uh, really eating um, poorly at the start. But then when Heather joined that false economy of trying to save money on food became so apparent and I was sort of super tired at that point and Heather's focus her whole um I don't know ethos and gearing towards the world is revolves around food and nutrition and the way that we interact with the land in that way and mm. um so yeah she taught me a lot and when we were on the horses uh Heather did an amazing job of foraging different foods whether it was um some of the seaweeds in chile or um you know just random watercress from a waterfall or that yeah lots of apples from just random trees along the way when when you're moving a lot slower on the horses you would notice these things whereas yeah. on the motorbike you know you'd pull over at a petrol station and buy some crappy food while you're filling up the petrol tank and and then you drive down to a town to a restaurant or whatever whereas on the horses you're going so slowly that any of those little like blackberry bushes or something on the side of the road you you'll see it coming from you know five minutes away and then it takes a minute or two to pass it so you're going so slowly sometimes you kind of think <laughs> you know you may as well stop anyway and, yeah. And, yeah 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 awesome Ah, uh, cool. Um, yeah, I mean, talking of the horses, obviously, a pretty big part of the film as well, um, um, and pretty, pretty shocking where you obviously made that. I mean, first off, um, you know, you trade was it your motorbikes for for the horses. You learn mm -hmm. to ride. I want to give too much away from the film, but um, you obviously learn to ride. And then there's obviously a pretty scary moment where you kind of, you know, you need to get, um, you know, hand, you know, sell the horses off and and. Um, you know, you make an agreement and it, it's not what it sounds to be, but which is a pretty mm -hmm. full on moment in it. But um, um, obviously I can imagine, you know, your bond, you know, to, to animals and to like, especially horses after going through that experience, like, have you, are you still horse riding? Do you have any horses on your property? Uh, if you've got a large block and, and things like that, are you, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, we are. I, um, life's pretty busy right now, so I'm not getting as much horse riding in as what I'd like. Do. um but you know yeah. things come in waves and um we do have four horses on the property here wow um, awesome. yeah so it's something that's definitely stuck with us and yeah i i mean you're right it was uh we'd kind of become a family by the end of it that's that's how it felt and um we didn't really think too deeply about what we were going to do with the ho horses after the six months you know we were we're just like, oh, we'll buy some horses and then at the end we'll sell the horses and that'll be great yeah. and then we'll carry on. But then obviously it got to the point of selling them and you realise that these beings have carried you on their backs day in, day out and yeah. have looked after you and you've looked after them as well and mm. you have developed this codependence in a way and you've also been through a lot of stuff together you know you've seen their hardships and they've carried you through yours and um yeah for us anyway it felt um yeah there was there was no question in our minds that we had to 
do something that was honorable to them as well. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, do you have any other trips planned? I'm guessing with a one-year-old, probably uh, not. It's probably the biggest trip will be going down to the supermarket. <laughs> but uh, do you have any other yeah. trips uh, in the pipeline that you'd like to do now that you've you've done that or go back and visit some of those, you know, people you've met or explore exploring new places or, yeah. Yeah. Um, well, we are setting off on a film tour in a couple of months' time. So we'll pile into the van and, um, like, super grassroots will uh do a little tour of the east coast potentially across to the west coast and so that'll be um i'm really looking forward to that to sort of putting all kind of commercial work on hold and um just spending a lot of time with the family and um also yeah just sharing the film and enjoying conversations with people and um but yeah as far as like big trips i would never make a film like this ever again but um just the independent nature of it yeah, was just sure. so difficult and i right. think if something was funded you would never it just when something's funded it doesn't have the freedom to be what our film was because it had no boundaries there was no yeah you know that you know i don't know how you get enough funding to do a three or four year journey or whatever you know um, yes yeah probably don't really have the energy to do another massive one like that again, or at least at the moment. But yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. I yeah. mean, I'm really interested in sort of domestic, domestically exploring Australia and especially my home region here. We're super lucky to have lots of rivers and mountains and um, beautiful beaches and it's uh, yeah, pretty blessed. Yeah. It was actually going to be my next question if you're going to do more because uh but yeah hopefully you do change here because um you know i think you're an absolute talent with with given how these films you know come out so um um speaking of which i definitely recommend all of our listeners to go and see this film um i should mention the details are on uh the melbourne documentary film festival website so that's www.mdff.org.au um currently tickets i believe are on sale for the online version so you can wherever region you are uh, around the world i think it is i think you can buy um tickets online and also i believe there's a cinema release uh in melbourne at cinema nova on the 29th of july at 3 p.m so get tickets now um definitely a movie you want to watch from the festival so um uh, Maddie, this has been awesome. I always finish, uh, like to finish these as well. Um, usually when we interview our guests, we ask them what uh, their favourite uh, film is of all time. And I know this is going to be a hard one to probably answer. If it's easier, you can even sort of say what sort of genre. Uh, again, not having a TV, it might be hard to watch many films these days. Um, but, you know, kind of thinking back as there, or is it <laughs> documentary films, you know, is, is do you have a favourite film or, or genre that uh, if you are going to pop a pop something on? that you gravitate towards yeah that is a hard one that's something that a... i should have as a <laughs> question. even the genre yeah. is there sort of one you you sort of go towards or the, yeah sort of... yeah, the, yeah like i mean I, I i love anything that makes me feel emotional i think um sure. genre so much isn't uh, you know a requirement but yeah i definitely i i really like those gritty independent films that you can see there's been, you know, that hasn't been too tainted by money and yep. it's, you can see that there's been a true 
yearning to express what the filmmaker wanted to to say and um, sure. not the not the films with budgets can't do that as well there's plenty of examples of that but yeah i do i do really appreciate that uh grassroots filmmaking absolutely so i'm thinking uh fast and furious and marvel are some of your favorite films i'm just uh maddie this is this has been great thank you so much for uh talking to me today and and as again reminded to everyone to go and go and see this film it really is great that's the road to patagonia so thank you maddie appreciate your time yeah thanks paul pleasure chatting to you mate